Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this special episode, we'll be discussing the college football playoff. We will touch on week 18. And as always, we'll have Jack's hot take. Now, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on the post notifications for Justin Time Sports social media with the handle at JTimesports on all of your favorite social medias, whether that's X, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Threads. Justin Time Sports is on there posting updates and news literally as we speak. And so, therefore, follow and turn on post notifications so, therefore, you always stay informed. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. a sort of season four wrap-up of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, of course, Justin Jackson. And originally, I'm going to be honest, going to be frank about the podcast, I had not intended to talk with you guys until we had um, everything with the new version of the show set up. Um, Because big things are coming in 2024. Of course, I will still be hosting. Of course, I will still be owning. But there are some things that are in the works, I'll say. It's not guaranteed, but it's in the works. We got some exciting things coming for you in 2024. Just like I spoke about uh, on my post, which I thank all of you guys for listening. I thank you again using my voice. Thank all you guys for listening, subscribing. Those of you who subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, wherever you subscribe. Uh, The YouTube channel as well. Um, At the moment, it's pure audio. My goal in 2024 is to go into video, uh, but at the moment it's just audio. Those of you who have subscribed on there as well, or who listen through there, uh, thank you so very much uh, for doing that. But I um, just once again thank you all, uh, all over the world, for those who listen to me. Um, again, I see it. Uh, I can check my analytics. I do check them fairly regularly. Um, I thank you guys for listening all over the world. Uh, we have big things coming into the show for 2024. Season 5 will be our biggest and best yet. Um, so again, thank you. But let's jump right into the main reason I did this show. And I'm going to be honest, the main reason I did this show is to talk about the college football playoff. Um, and we'll get we'll touch on the NFL Week 18, like I said in the intro. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do a Jack's Hot Take, of course, because I have something I really want to get off my chest about Jack's Hot Take. We'll move on. We'll get to that, of course. But the main reason I did this show, the main reason... I want to do uh, this show is the college football playoff. Finally. 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 In the last year of its current existence, in the last year of the college football playoff, as we know it, the four teams selected from the committee, um, as we saw this year, no real criteria. <laughs> I mean, there's criteria, of course. You have to be really good. You have to be ranked in the top so and such. You have to have ability to win. But 13-0 conference champion, I'm getting to you a spot kind of thing. You know? Um, so there was a lot of jockeying back and forth. For the first time in the college football playoff history, we had five deserving champions. Because usually the Pac-12 is out. Or the ACC is out. Like, somebody's not even the de factor. So then the four conference champions get in and we're not having a debate. Um, but again, this year we had 
five deserving conference champions, which was the issue that I foresaw before the conference championship game. And if you want to go back a couple episodes, you can hear me break down the timeline of when I was kind of realizing the issue Florida State had. You have Florida State with an injured quarterback, 13-0 AC champion. Michigan, undefeated 13-0 Big Ten champion. You had a 13-0 Washington uh, undefeated champion. You had Texas 12-1 undefeated champion as well. Um, And then you had Alabama, who took down the number one team in the conference championship game. Now they're 12-1 conference champion. So we knew someone was going to have a gripe. Um, And it ended up being Florida State was taken out. And honestly, they were the least of the gripes. I'm not going to sit here and say, ha ha, the Orange Bowl, 63-3. That's why you shouldn't have been in. But that's why you shouldn't have been in, right? Um, You got absolutely destroyed by Georgia, 63-3. The opt-outs were the opt-outs. Sure, Georgia had 27 players not play. You had 27 players not play. And honestly, we can really say 26 because Jordan Travis was out already. So Georgia technically had one more new player not play as opposed to what you had. And when they subbed in their third or fourth strangers, they won 28-0. So it's not like the game was close. It was a destruction. It was something brought on by Florida State's admin and coaches. When you gripe, complain, and cry about you not getting in, the players follow suit, and they all either said draft the transfer board. It's so bad, the school itself is effectively in a transfer portal trying to find a way to leave the ACC. Like, that's how much of a gripe and complaint they had and how justified uh, they had and everything else regarding to the college playoff, which next year, it doesn't matter because next year, it's a 12-team playoff, and if they do the exact same thing they did this year, they're the fifth seed probably, and they host Liberty, um, who, was the, who, was the, who would be the highest-ranked FC, highest ranked group of five team gets the automatic bid. They play. They host Liberty in the first round, in the, of the playoff next year. So they're trying to do all this stuff about leaving the ACC when they have no reason to. But that's neither here nor there. Um, that's a whole different situation. We're not discussing Florida State here. What we are discussing are the four teams that got in, and every year in the playoff, the semifinals have been a drag. I mean, I mean, it's, they've been blowout cities. I mean, the first year they were close games, and then after that, someone get destroyed every year. Um, usually, it was either the big, it was usually the Big Twelve team. The Big Twelve team that got in used to get annihilated. Uh, Bama to Oklahoma, LSU to Oklahoma, um, TCU made it through. They got wrecked in the t- in the title game. Um, there, it was, so something would always go wrong in terms of the game. Uh, maybe a blowout in the semifinals. It's, it's a snore fest by the second half, you know. Um, and so people anticipated no snore fest this year. People was like, man, there's no team, because Florida State's not in, there's no team that's universally just outmatched by another. Um, you looked at Michigan and Bama. People thought Bama would wear Michigan down. But for those of you who watch Michigan and watch Bama, uh, I like hardball, so I keep my eye on Michigan. I watch a lot of Michigan games. Of course, Bama's in the SEC. I watch a lot of SEC football. And so I watch a lot of Alabama football. Those two, I said, were very evenly matched. I actually picked Michigan um, in this matchup. Those are two very evenly matched schools. Um, both of their strength was running the ball. Both of their strengths were being physical. If you have a situation where both of your strengths are pretty much the same, you're gonna, the game's going to be close. And then you look at the second game, their strength was offense. Everybody thought they'd be the high-scoring game. Either one had great defenses. Both of them had talented quarterbacks, crazy receivers, great OCs. Um, 
good run games that could sustain their quarterbacks. But for the most part, they were going to bomb away down the field um, and really test the other secondary. Both predictions were accurate. Now, I thought Texas would win the second game. I was a potentially uncalled pass in the France away from being correct. But we're going to break down the Rose Bowl first. So the Rose Bowl being Michigan, Alabama, number one versus number four. Uh, Michigan was the number two team pretty much the last half the year at least. And the only reason why they wasn't number one because Georgia was one and Georgia had been undefeated for two and a half years. Um, so, you know, Georgia, uh, Michigan was the number two team unquestioned throughout the country um, for the last at least, like I said, half the year, maybe a little further than that. Especially when they beat Ohio State, they were trenched in the playoff. Uh, people thought that even if they lost to Iowa somehow, they would still get in, which would have made it an interesting debate between if they lost to Iowa, no conference champion in Florida State, but that's it, they had go there. And so you got Alabama, red hot. They only had one blunder all year. We two, I believe, against Texas in Tuscaloosa with their only blunder. They had beaten everybody else, including knocking off the Georgia team that we had discussed undefeated for two and a half years. They meet in the Rose Bowl. Now, Michigan, smart. The Rose Bowl is the traditional Big Ten host site. Also, the Sugar Bowl is incredibly close to New Orleans. And New Orleans is incredibly close to Alabama, much closer to Michigan. At least the Rose Bowl fans from the Big Ten country are used to traveling to the Rose Bowl. Because traditionally, the Rose Bowl is the Big Ten champion, the Pac-12 champion. Again, unless the playoff exists or they made the national championship game, that's where they go. So the stadium was split, though, 50-50. It was 50% maize and blue. 50% crimson and white. Um, incredible scene uh, when they did a flyover with the B-16 bomber. It was an amazing scene. The B-16 was like right in the middle of the field. And then you had um, the stadium split, half maize and blue, half crimson and white. Absolutely amazing scene uh, to see there. And the Rose was one of the beautiful, most beautiful stadiums in the country. Anyhow, getting to the game, it was a slugfest. It was like two um, heavyweight boxers. They just would throw a punch, take a punch, throw a punch, take a punch. I mean, it, it got down to, like, trench warfare in World War One, where basically they were fighting over position. Like, it got, <laughs> then, like, Michigan jumps out, uh, Michigan strikes first, and at that point you're thinking, okay, what's going to be Bama's response? I mean, they get into an absolute, it's like, a, like an old heavyweight fight or trench warfare. I mean, you know, people use heavyweight fight because it's easier for people to um, grasp the concept of a heavyweight fight. But in perfect honesty, it was, I'm sorry, Bama scores first. I forgot, Bama scores first because Michigan muffs the punt. So Michigan almost throws a pick on their first drive. They get away with it. Then Bama punts it. Michigan muffs the punt. That's when Bama runs in for the touchdown. Uh, to make it 7-0 with about 10 minutes left in the first. Michigan immediately drives down the field, ties the game. We don't get another score until the set until the end of the second quarter. Three minutes and 49 seconds left. Um, Michigan runs a slick little pass concept. Touchdown. Um, but the extra points missed. Special teams for Michigan was huge in this game throughout the entire game. It actually made some coaching decisions late. Very difficult for Michigan because of the special team's failures. Bama had their own issues with their operation as well. Bama comes out and there's a field goal 13-10 at halftime. Bama immediately comes right out of us. No, there's no scoring in the third quarter. This is when, again, it feels like Prince Warfare. They're playing the punting game. Um, a few popular people, Skip Bayless, one was saying, who would be the battle of the punters? They're playing the punting game. 
Bama is consistently winning the punting game. They're booting 50, 55-yard punts. Michigan's booting 40. Well, if you're in this exchange of battles, if, if you're going three and out 55 yards, three and out 40 yards, Bama just gained 15 yards. Three and out 50 yards, three and out 40 yards again, Bama gained another 10 yards. So Bama's eating up grass with their punting unit as opposed to their offense or their defense. Ultimately, it leads to a Bama touchdown, 17-13, start of the fourth quarter. Bama kicks another field goal with about 5 four, 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 left in the fourth. Now, this comes about because Michigan misses a kick, misses a field goal. Remember, I said special teams unit made it hard late. Michigan misses a field goal in this operation. Now, that's four points that the special teams unit has directly given up. So instead of this game being 20 to 17, when Bama keeps the field goal for four to one left, it's 20 to 13. Michigan, again, marched down the field. Another beautiful pass concept, wide open receiver. Uh, touchdown, 20 to 20 with a minute 34 left. Now, at this point, everyone in my house, and I'm watching, I'm watching my parents and my wife, everyone in my house is saying go for two, pretty much. I said that's the hardest decision he's going to ever have to make as a coach at Michigan. The reason being is if you don't get it, game's over. Because there's no way. You have three timeouts, but Bama's one, one first down from the game over, right? If you don't get it, you're, you're looked at as a fool. And Harbaugh ends his Michigan turmoil with that decision. Now, and if you say in his in his tenure, what do you mean? He's going to the Chargers. Worst kept secret in football. He's going to the Chargers. He just hired Don Yee, who's Tom Brady and Sean Payton's agent. He also, the Chargers reports have been flying out. Oh, is it the Chargers are going to aggressively pursue Jim Harbaugh? Okay. I've learned in this business long enough. There's no too many coincidences. This doesn't happen. Right? Coincidences doesn't happen that often. Especially that many about the same thing. Um, it's like when Sean Payton was brought to Denver, all of a sudden agents started getting chains and certain GMs with connections to him popped up and then this happened and then meetings occurred and it was weird. All this happenstance. And then Sean Payton to go to the Broncos. Um, so now all this happenstance is happening regarding to Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. That just happened, people. Things are leading up to that. Um, Harbaugh's gonna be the Chargers coach. But um, anyway, regarding back to the game itself, that's a decision, like I say, you can't make and it not work. I mean, that's just being perfectly honest. Like, that decision has to work if you do it. If you do it, you then put Bam in the spot without their thinking score. Because now it takes the decision making from Nick Saban's hands entirely. He's not, Nick Saban, Tommy Reese, the OC, they're not even considering go to OT, they're down. So now they're thinking score. So who knows? They could end up scoring on you when they were probably thinking maybe OT. Like, now with a minute 34, your first brain to score anyway. And they did come out to score, but it takes the decision away. You know? So now you're, you know, it, it, it changes the scope of the magnitude if you go for two there and you get it. If you go for two there and you miss it, it's over. So smartly, Harbaugh goes and he kicks the extra point. Um, and, they, um, and they make it 20 to 20. 
again, we're slugfest. Like I said, I, it felt like trench warfare. If, if I could imagine what the Battle of the Marne and World War One was, where they're just throwing bombs at each other for six inches of grass, that's what it felt like. They were just punching each other. Except the punchers were the show in the third quarter. You'd move five plays, punt. Three plays, punt. Four plays, punt. Six plays, punt. Like it was the punchers were just going back and forth. Um, it was battling over inches and you get down to it Bama almost throws the game away um, late ultimately we go into overtime this is when the interesting stuff begins to happen so the coin toss at overtime the strategy is always play defense in the college overtime because both teams are guaranteed the ball regardless of a touchdown or a field goal whatever happens on the first drive doesn't matter not like the NFL where um, touchdown first ends it, or field goal, you get it back, whatever, like there's caveats to whatever. In the college game, both teams get a shot from the 25-yard line going in to possess the ball. Now, personally, I think it should be the 50. I think it should be the 50. The reason why I think it should be the 50 is that you at least got to get one, maybe two first downs to get in field goal range. At the 25, every Division One kicker in the world's in range. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not, I mean, that's mo- most high school kickers from the 25 are at least close. So, you're not, there's no incentive to gain yards. Especially if, like, for instance, for instance, if, like, the team, that gets, team A gets the ball first, doesn't score. Well, team B just has to get the ball where they want it for the, for the field goal, kick the field goal on third down and win the game. There's no incentive to move the ball. If you start from the 50, I at least got to get a first down, maybe even two to be in field goal range. Um, but the rule of the setup, as they set up now from the 25, and Michigan first place runs like a counter style play. They pull a guard and a tackle, or pull an H back and a tackle. And I'm when the play starts, I say touchdown. The reason why is the entire Michigan offensive line that isn't pulling washes Bama all the way out. The H back kicks out the linebacker. The guard is running to the safety. There's no one else back there. Um, Coram goes a little too fast, outruns the guard a little bit, changes his block angle, he gets tackled. Okay. I apparently wasn't the only one that saw this because Michigan decides to run the exact same play the other way. Like they just, it's like on Madden when you hurry it up and press R2, you just flip it. Like they did the exact same play and flipped it. So then they pulled the other tackle and the H back went the other way. This time, Corn showed a little more patience and he walked into the end zone. It's like, again, the whole line got washed out and the H back kicked out and the uh, lineman went to the safety. There was nobody else back there. Corn walked into the end zone. Cool. They make the extra point. Boom. Again, part of the discussion in my house was do you go for two? Then I say, no, Bama's kick is going to make it. So if Bama ties it, they're going to get the extra point and win the Rose Bowl. Like, Winning the road going an extra point is just like, like that again, that can't happen. So you keep that point to make it. Special teams had been the bugaboo for Michigan all game. They actually had two muff punts. They left, they, I mean, they basically gave Bama the game, or gave, tried to give Bama the game on special teams. So the decision making on special teams was something the whole game. Anyway, Bama gets the ball. They make a little moves. Bama went into that game. Bama went to that drive saying, we're not going to throw it if we don't have to. Just, I mean, about as openly as we're not going to throw the ball. Um, and we talked about 
Jalen Milrow. Or maybe we didn't talk about. Yeah, we did. Jalen Milrow's discussion on Bill O'Brien about how Bill O'Brien told him he should play quarterback. And he responded with, look, look at me now. Look where I am now. It turned into a race thing. And that was the one thing I didn't want it to do. Because let's be honest here. Make Jalen Milrow as white as loose leaf paper. He's not a good quarterback. He's a hell of an athlete playing quarterback. Jalen Milrow scares me every time he takes off. He does never scares me throwing the ball. Ever. I'm an LSU fan. You know when he beat us? Running. You know when we stayed in that game? Even when Daniel got knocked out? When he threw it. But, like, it's not a race thing. He's not that good at quarterback. Like, his best attribute on the field is running. Now, he fumbled late in that game and almost gave Michigan the game. Michigan couldn't do anything with it. But he almost fumbled the game away. But his best athlete, his best attribute is running. It's not a race thing. It, it, Lamar Jackson coming out of college. Bill Polian asking him to trans. Now, after you win the Heisman at quarterback, that, that, that's a race thing. Bill Polian asked Lamar Jackson, that, that's a race thing. But a guy who had never taken snaps at quarterback in college, had never showed himself to be a quarterback in college, being asked, hey, maybe you shouldn't play the quarterback in college, not a race thing. He wasn't that good at it. He was benched earlier this year for a guy who now plays lacrosse. Like, it's not like Bill O'Brien was telling this to Jalen Hurts. Like, no, he was telling this to to you. Like, to um, Jalen Milrow. Like, and that's not making a race thing, but it turned into one, whatever. Bama went into that overtime and reaffirmed Bill O'Brien. You're not going to throw the ball. He's just not. They ran it. They ran it with him. <laughs> they ran it with the running back. They ran uh, They ran a jet motion and QB powered back the other way. They were not going to throw the ball. But anyway, it gets down to still not throwing the ball, still not throwing the ball. It gets down to, um, I think they threw one pass, actually, um, to Burton, and Burton hurt himself. But um, to get down to fourth and goal, this is the game. It's fourth and goal. Bama comes out, and they run what many are deducing now is an RPO. When I spoke about Bama's operation issues, Bama had a possession where they just rolled the snap. The Rose Bowl is one of the few places with grass still, like legitimate come-out-of-the-dirt grass. But when that grass is played on and it's thick-cut like it is in the Rose Bowl, the ball gets stuck. So Bama, for like one drive, rolled the snaps. He rolled one time, then hit him in the knee another time. Um... Not good center. That was a really good center. Um, it wasn't turf. Now, Bama doesn't use turf for the thing, but it's really low cut. Um, the Rose Bowl is not low cut, so it rolled on that play. The snap was low again. Um, it was low again, so Miro catches it low, and now he's thinking just go forward. Well, if you look at the play, a guard pulls in front. His power, he should have went behind that guard, or it was also an RPO. There's a guy flying right to the flat, popped open, and I think the timing of the play was thrown off because the snap was low. So now he's picking up the snap and trying to get whatever he can out of it instead of continuing to run the play. He runs right into the teeth of defense. Michigan stuffs some Rose Bowls over. 
um, and Bama officially goes three years without winning a title and saving the longest streak. Insane. Uh, the longest streak of such uh, non-titles since he arrived in 07. Uh, every single class in Alabama history, since every single class at Bama since 07 has won a title. Everyone at Nick Saban's recruiting classes has won at least one. Most of them have won two. Um, and so some of them have three under their belts. Um, so absolutely um, are uh, in their longest drought of not winning a title. Saban spoke very highly of this team, uh, saying that they had fun, uh, that he had so much fun with them, and he was proud of them how they developed. He knew this wasn't his, his best team, um, but he said he's proud of them nonetheless. And Michigan goes on to the national championship game, which again, was it was a heavyweight boxing match. It was the World War One fight, uh, and then you got the World War Two match. Bombs away! Here we go um, to Washington in Texas. It basically starts with Michael Penix bombing a 75-yard pass, gets down to the two touchdown Washington, and then it was on. Um, that Washington defense held up a lot better than people would have thought they would have. Um, I thought this game would be in the 40s. Um, easily in the 40s. I'm talking like, I mean, if someone kissed 50, it wouldn't have shocked me by any means, but it never got to that point. Um, yeah, I said, Washington starts it off with a bomb, and then Texas comes back, drives right down the field, touchdown, 7-7. Washington again, fires it back, uh, touchdown, 14-7. Texas comes right back, 14-14 on the very next drive. Then you kind of hear Lowell, the punter, show up. Um, and then Washington strikes again, Penix to Polk, uh, 21-14, about a minute 27 left in the second. Texas quickly drives in a minute and 10 seconds all the way down the field, uh, touchdown Texas, 21-21. Then Washington starts to pour it on. Um, touchdown, Penix to McMillan, 28-21. And then field goal is the only scores of the third quarter. So Washington wins the third quarter, 10-0. They go into the break, 31-21. To start the fourth quarter, they kick another field goal, 34-21. Um, then Adonai Mitchell from Quinn Ewers gets it 34-28. Then Washington gets a field goal, what many people thought was a dagger, about 240 left, 37-28. Then Texas gets another field goal. Texas gets another, uh, yeah, Texas gets a field goal. They get the ball back, they drive. So in this drive, coaching point for those of you who don't really, you know, whatever, for the casual, for the casual fan, when you're down two possessions, especially one of the possessions is a field goal, it's like nine. It's not the XFL, it's not the USFL. Shout out to them for making the UFL. When you can get nine points for possession, the most you can get is eight. So meaning, you got to get a field goal in somewhere, in theory. You start figuring out which possession you want the field goal on. Because if you get down the field really, really fast, let's say you bomb it away and you get on the 10. You go for the end zone probably twice. Well, you're already at the chance. You go for the end zone. You're thinking in your head, okay, this becomes the touchdown drive. But if you're kind of methodically working down the field and you get to 30 and it's a third down, you think this might be the field goal drive. So Texas and Lamar working down the field, working down the field, and they get to about the 20-ish. And they think field goal drive, so they kick the field goal like a minute and 10 seconds left. Right? They actually get the ball back. So what happens is uh, Washington gets it back. They go three and out. 
the situation that here occurred though, Washington had a running back hurt his foot. Player timeout for injury. So now instead of Texas getting the ball back with maybe 10 seconds left, they get it back with about 40 seconds left because the play calling for 40 to 25 with a player injury. So now they get another 20, 25 seconds left because of the injury to Washington's player. They march down the field and Quinn Ewers is throwing into the end zone as time expires to win the game. Washington DB makes a hell of a play. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head. He makes a hell of a play. He jumps over the top, smacks the ball out of a Texas player's hand. Washington wins the Sugar Bowl. Now, I was a lot more in depth about Texas and uh, a lot more in depth about Bama and Michigan. We're going to dive into Washington and Texas now. So this game was a battle of two elite offenses like I spoke about. This went from World War One to World War Two, <laughs> In World War Two, they introduced planes, bombs, and stuff of that nature. Long-range attacks. It was bombs away. Michael Penix showed... He tried to... He, people on Twitter were saying maybe he was a Heisman snub. He wasn't. Jade... You add that game to Michael Penix's regular season stats, he still doesn't have what Jaden Daniels has. Like, let's not have this discussion. He's a few hundred yards short and a few touchdowns short. Like, he still didn't do it. It Probably you add his national title game stats to it, he probably still don't have Jaden regular season stats. Um, but he went bombs away, slicing dice to the defense. He made a couple of absolutely beautiful, and I do mean beautiful throws. Um, the, they ran like a triple post like concept, all bunch of over routes. First over goes through, he fires the second over on a frozen rope right through the middle of both safeties. Um, the bomb, and start the game, I mean, flips his hips, fires it down 50 yards in the air. A uh, receiver does the rest. Uh, he threw a beautiful one at the sideline where uh, a, a Dunze, I believe it was, flashes hands late, beautiful right into the bucket. Um, his accuracy is his strength. Um, I worry about him at the next level with the injury history. In Indiana, he had four injuries in his, in his season in Indiana. He ultimately ended up transferring to Washington. Hasn't had a major injury since. Um, so, you know, you know, I knock on the wood. I hope that continues. But, you know, I worry about his injury history. Um, I worry about his mobility at the NFL level. But that's something we will talk about when we get to the draft. Of course, he'll, he'll, he'll be the fifth quarterback off the board. Um, Williams, May, and Daniels will be QBs one through three. He has a chance to be the fourth quarterback off the board. I think him and Knicks will um, be the quarterbacks to come off the board after that. Knicks is, you know, Knicks played in the, in the bowl game against Liberty, had a great game, of course, and, he, and he's going to the Senior Bowl. So Knicks is doing everything he can to try and move himself off the board. I wonder if Penix will also go to the Senior Bowl. Um, Williams, May, and Daniels. Daniels could. I don't think he will, but Daniels could as well. Uh, maybe he'll do interviews at the Senior Bowl. But um, Knicks is taking every advantage to try and make himself up the draft board. So, well, he should. Uh, but, but Penix, man, was throwing absolute rocket lasers. I mean, he was on everybody's Twitter feed. He had a big moment after the game, shot out his hood. He wore a do-rag, purple satin do-rag the whole game. I mean, this, this kid's legit. Um, and he's got two great parents. I mean, you can tell they're great parents. They raised a great son. Um, but he was throwing rocket balls. Oh, I mean, coming out of the left hand, firing it. Um, he's interesting because he doesn't really have a cop. And what I mean by that is there's no one like him in the league that's left-handed. Um, 
because you, I mean, your brain wants everybody's left hand quarter wants to be Michael Vick. Penix has 13 rushing yards all season. He can move. I mean, the world got introduced him in Indiana when he scrambled out the pocket, dove to the pylon, stuck the ball out, hit the pylon. But after those injuries, man, he's not as athletic as he used to be. Um, and so he kind of reminds me of what people want Bryce Young to be. He's a little bit bigger than Bryce. He's left-handed, of course, but he's got a rocket of an arm. He's deadly accurate. Um, he, again, he kind of reminds me of what people want Bryce Young to be. Um, I mean, he is... He's legit, and he probably many other QB classes. He's QB one. You got Caleb Williams, who's been QB one for two years. Jaden Daniels had the greatest season, one of the greatest seasons of a college quarterback ever. And Drake May is highly thought of by scouts, not by me. I'd have finished as QB three. Um, but you know, so next year's class, like he'd probably be the number one quarterback in next year's class. Um, of course, if he's coming out this year. He'll be a top probably ten pick, maybe top fifteen pick at the worst. Because you don't let quarterbacks that are really, really good hang around too long. He's legit, right? Um, and so he played so well. He actually overshadowed Ewers. Ewers played a good game for Texas. Um, I think Tarkeesia made some interesting play call decisions. Um, you know, and, and those things pop out more when you lose. Um, but it was an interest of several interesting play call decisions by... Uh, Sarkeesian kind of led to some interesting moments uh, in the game. Uh, but, again, Ewers played really well. I thought Texas could have ran the ball more. I think Washington had the physicality up front to continue to just stand up to Texas's run, which they ultimately didn't. When Texas got close to the end zone, they ran the ball. They ran it into the end zone. Um, so I think Michigan's going to have an advantage there. Um, but it was an incredibly interesting game. Both secondaries need some work uh, for Washington and Texas. Uh, but shout out to Washington head coach. So he's like the winningest coach in college football like history. He's like one ten and like eleven or some outrageous number. He lost like three games to the head coach of Sioux Falls in NAIA ball. And then when he went into like a D two job, I think, he lost like one game or two games that year. Then he took over at Washington. He's lost like six games since he's been at Washington. Um, two wins. And we would not shock me if the NFL didn't come knocking. Uh, sooner rather than later, because now that Washington moved to the Big Ten, there's not really any bigger jobs. You get my drift that hits out there. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if the NFL came calling sooner rather than later for him. This dude's a winner, um, and so I mean it's, he wins. It's just that simple. Now I want to see him next year without Penix because he brought Penix in, and Penix has been winning with him. So I want to see him next year without Penix. But regardless, the dude's a winner. Like I said, it wouldn't shock me if the NFL came knocking sooner rather than later. Of course, Sark, this was his last game with Texas head coach in the Big 12. They move into the SEC, um, and they bring Oklahoma with them. Washington, of course, is effectively playing the Big 10 championship. Why? Because the Big 10 is absorbing Washington, uh, USC, UCLA, and Oregon next year. So, um, which brings us to the national championship game itself. Like I said, the Big 10 championship game, it could have been the final Rose Bowl. Um, there's people actually saying that uh, they should hurry up and do an emergency switch and move it back to the Rose Bowl because they said there's no way the final Pac-12 v. Big Ten game uh, should should be in Dallas, Texas. You know, like, it, was like it, it would just be too poetic to put the game in the Rose Bowl. Pac-12 champion, Washington, Big Ten champion, Michigan, ballot it out. 
in the Rose Bowl for the national championship in the final uh, Rose Bowl as we know it. Big Ten v. Pac-12. Um, it's going to be a very interesting game. Two great coaching staffs. As I love Jim Harbaugh. I cannot think of the Washington coach's name right now, and I apologize to him. But dude's an absolute winner. Um, and so you've got to fly, got to fly over offense, and you've got to ground and pound offense. You got JJ McCarthy, the greatest quarterback in Michigan history, according to Jim Harbaugh, and second in it by Tom Brady. And you got Michael Penix, who is going to be a top 15 draft pick, second place in the Heisman. JJ McCarthy may be number one next year when he comes out. Um, so you've just got stuff all over the place, talent everywhere. Um, what Washington has in receivers, Michigan answers for an offensive line and running backs. What Washington has in um, edge rushers and linebackers, Michigan answers for in secondary and interior alignment. Like, this is going to be an absolute, it's going to be a clash of styles. It's always been the most interesting. There's one thing I love about college sports. Um, in the NFL, pretty much, you may throw the ball more than me. I may run the ball more than you. You may run a lot of zone. I'm a lot of power. But in the end, we're not that far off in terms of stylistic battles. Now, it's a little less stylistic difference uh, these days uh, as opposed to 10, 15 years ago. Now, if you think about it, Army and Navy didn't even run triple options. It was, it was very interesting to watch. <laughs> I mean, it was a little veer. It was a lot of stuff out of the shotgun. It was weird to watch Army and Navy without that stuff. Um, but the stylistic differences still exist more in the college game than the pro game. Michigan's ground and pound. Michigan's 12 personnel. Michigan's two tight ends. Michigan's a fullback. Like, Michigan's under center some a uh, good majority of the game. Michigan's a lot of power. A lot of ground and pound. Shorten the game. Run out of concept off that bomb and occasionally just to keep your safeties back. We're going to operate in the first 20 yards of the field. Washington's the exact opposite. Spread them out. Bomb away. Like, you got this great quarterback. Let him throw it. Um, and so, you know, Michigan's built to stop the run, which is why the final play with Miro running his face into the Michigan line wasn't the greatest idea. But as opposed to Texas, their final play was attacking Washington secondary. They're built to stop deep passes because they were in a conference. Or they were in a conference built for the deep pass. Michigan's built to be ground and pound and stop the run because they're in a conference built that ground and pound stop the run. You know what I'm saying? So you get these stylistic differences and they're going to meet in Dallas, Texas on a fast turf. That Cowboys turf is fast. It always has been. Um, and so you're going to see Washington may have a speed advantage on this fast turf. Um, both schools have to travel. So it's not one of the situations where the worst thing people, the worst thing people want to do is um, deal with LSU in the Sugar Bowl or the National Championship game in New Orleans. It's a home game. You know, you get both sides. I think both fan bases get 30% and then it gets general admission. So you really don't want to deal with like LSU being in Baton Rouge, New Orleans is 45 minutes an hour away. Well, all the general admission tickets are going to go them. So then the stadium turns 65, 35, <laughs> and it feels like an LSU home game. Um, transfer portal news: uh, the offensive lineman, the center I discussed about Alabama, he, he's transferring. He was the starting center on the team. He's transferring. I'm sure he has not been um, spoken to kindly on social media since that game. Um, but he's entering the transfer portal. He is a starting center, an SEC starting center. It's going to be very interesting to see where he goes. He may end up at LSU. Brad Davis, one of the best recruiters in the country. LSU needs a new center. He may end up at LSU. Um, so, again, he he's, he's probably has not been spoken to very kindly since the uh, Rose Bowl game. But anyway, so 
Back to what I was saying regarding to the national championship game. Um, it's going to be a very interesting clash of styles. I've got Michigan winning the title. I just feel like they're going to win the title. Because the one thing that will transfer faster is a run game. Washington really can't run the ball. Not interior. They can get to the exterior, but they really can't run the ball. Michigan knows this. So they're going to allow their two D tackles to just eat up space in the middle and flow to the ball. Michigan also is really good at deep coverage. As you can saw, every shot Bama had to take, bat it down. Um, Michigan plays a lot of bail coverage. Um, they play a lot of uh, play a lot of cover through bail coverage, meaning their whole job is to stay over the top. Now, Pennants can fit a ball through a keyhole, but I think it's going to be very, very hard to do it over and over and over again. Uh, Michigan, I think, is going to turn them over maybe once or twice, and then Blake Coleman going to have a field day on that Washington defense. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, unless they overload it and then you put your DBs one-on-one. Not the world's best DBs. They got some talent. They're not the world's best DBs. Um, one-on-one situation. McCarthy's the, probably a top-five pick. Not in 2024, but in 2025's draft. That's asking for trouble. I think it's going to be a shootout. Because I don't think Washington will be able to slow down Michigan consistently. Um, Texas kind of beat themselves in a way with the, some of their play-calling situations. I don't think... Washington able to slow down Michigan consistently, um, but I don't think Michigan able to slow down Washington either. I mean, Penix is, you know, you mess up one coverage, Penix bombs the 80 yards touchdown. I mean, that's <laughs> that's where you're at from drawing Washington. Uh, we got Michigan winning the national championship 34 to 30, um, and Harbaugh brings Michigan their first outright title since like 1948 or something like that. Um, and then he announces his decision to leave in a few days and goes to the Chargers. Um, the thing about this game, what makes it interesting, and then we'll move on to the NFL. The thing that makes the game interesting is it's the first time since the playoffs started that a team from the SEC or State's not in the national championship game. There's no Southern presence in the game. Washington and, and Michigan both touch Canada. Like, there's no Southern presence in the game. Um, and this would be each team's first outright title, Washington ever, and Michigan's like 1948 because since they thought they'd do it on the field, Neither one of them, well, Washington never had a title, period. But since I'm doing it on the field, Michigan's never won a title. Um, so this would be, it's a new champion. It's a new era. It's a northern game. It's a northern and a western game. Like, it's just, it's huge. It's what college football needed going into the 12-team playoff. Because a lot of people are starting to call the 12-team playoff the SEC Invitational. Like, oh, you're just putting more SEC teams in. They're probably going to win it. This is actually a Big Ten game because Washington's going into the Big Ten next year. It's a West and a North game. It's huge for college football. It's what, to me, the country needed um, going into. It's what the country needed going into the 12 team playoff to have everyone in the country looking, waiting, and watching. So, again, my national champion pick is Michigan 34 to 30. But up next, we'll be shifting to the NFL to talk about what's going down there. totally college football show but i promise you guys nfl week 18 so we're gonna hit nfl week 18 
NFL Week 18 is already starting to shape up a little bit. We've got guys starting to sit. Luckily, in none of the four matchups we're going we're gonna to quickly hit on, none of that's happening so far, although I anticipated happening in one of them. Um, Patrick Mahomes is not playing this week. The Chiefs are the third seed locked in. He's taking a seat along with multiple starters. Um, no, um, no word on um, what starters are sitting with him just yet, but it was already announced that he is sitting, uh, Patrick Mahomes is sitting this week um, along with multiple starters. Sam Howell is going to start for the Commanders and um, against the Cowboys, and the Rams are giving Matthew Stafford and potentially others off this week because uh, Carson Wentz is going to draw the start for them. But, jumping right into NFL Week 18, uh, first we're going to go AFC, then we're going to go NFC. So, most of the thing we're going to talk about is the AFC. They're still mostly the top side turvy, and they're kind of all tying into each other. The big game, or the big scenario, is the four is the two games between the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bills versus the Dolphins. Now, they're all wrapped around each other. The Bills and the Dolphins close out the NFL season. They're the Sunday night game. This game matters due to the Ravens and Steelers game. It matters big time for the Ravens and Steelers. The Steelers are playing for the playoff line. The Steelers beat the Ravens. The Steelers then need the Dolphins to beat the Bills, and the Steelers make the playoffs. Now, the Ravens, I anticipate, are going to rest. I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm perfectly anticipating they're going to arrest people. I'm just, I'm just being perfectly fine. I'm just saying they're going to arrest people. Um, they're the number one seed locked in. The division's locked in. Like Everything they want is locked in. The only problem is they would have three weeks off in the football. And so that is where Harbaugh may play the guys. But I think they're going to, to me, not play. Lamar Jackson, if he's locked up, like everything they could possibly want, right, is locked up. So, therefore, um, everything, everything the Ravens will want is locked up. Therefore, I think they're going to rest. Now, there is good old-fashioned hate in this rivalry. It's going to be honest with you. They don't like each other. Pittsburgh and Baltimore, one of the oldest, toughest, one of the toughest rivalries in the NFL. The Ravens have the chance to make sure the Steelers don't make the playoffs. That's maybe more motivation than the rest. Like, to ensure that your hated rival doesn't make it, they may play this game. I anticipate the Ravens not, although it is Wednesday, and that announcement hasn't come yet. Um, maybe if they were locked in the two seed, they could steal a, a, a bye, because they're getting the bye. I think Harbaugh may play his guys. Regardless, I anticipate the Steelers to win this game. I don't know why. And probably because I'm still sitting on the fact that I think they're going to arrest the guys. But I think the Steelers are going to win this football game. Um, it'll, be, it'll be close, especially if they rest Tyler Huntley. Starts for the Ravens. They can put up points. Um, but I think the Steelers are going to win this game 24-20. Again, I'm saying the Ravens won't play their guys. That goes right into the Sunday night game. Which is, again, the last game of the regular season. Bills versus Dolphins. Um, last game of the regular season. This game becomes a win and get in for the Bills, losing a home game for the Bills. The Bills, at that point, if the Steelers win, are either the AFC champions and they and they are the, the, the three seed. No, they're the two seed, AFC champions, or they're not making the playoffs at all. 
Um, the Dolphins are in. The Dolphins have a spot. They're either the wild card, uh, one of the wild cards, or the AFC East champions. But they're in regardless. It's AFC East championship game with the entire, um, with the entire season for the Bills on the line. Either they're the two seed or they're out entirely. And so that game to be very interesting. I actually believe the Dolphins win this game. So if I'm the if I'm the Bills. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, winning get in. But I'm definitely hoping that the Ravens take care of business before me. And I remember the NFL did something one year where everybody played at the same time. The whole AFC played at the same time, and the whole NFC played at the same time to kind of stop resting. Because if you're the Bills, no, it's for the AFC championship game. Now, if I say if you're the Bills, do you see that the Steelers lost and pulled your guys? Um, but no, it's for the AFC East. It's for the division. So, no, never mind, they don't do that. But Bills and Dolphins um, is a game. I think the Dolphins are just faster. They're just raw faster. And they're also, I think they have a little bit better setup right now. The Dolphins have been, again, all their coordinators are there. The Bills have changed OC Joe Brady. The offense does look a little better. But in a game like this, continuity and being in this spot before matters. Um, and I think that the Dolphins are going to win this game 30-24. Uh, to 24. And put the Bills out of the playoffs, pending the Steelers win. Um, but definitely the Dolphins go in as a two seed. They draw the seventh seed, I believe the Steelers. Um, and then they would go into the playoffs. Sticking into the AFC, the Texans play the Colts, both are nine and seven. And the Jaguars, who are nine and seven, play the Titans. Now, in these two matchups, I believe the Texans and the Jaguars are going to win. And then that would trigger all kind of tiebreakers and to see who gets in. And I'm not sure what tiebreakers fall where. Strength of schedule and points and all the other stuff. Head-to-head competition comes into play. Uh, divisional record comes into play. Um, all kind of stuff breaks um, insanely. Uh, whenever you're coming down to a tiebreaker uh, scenario. So, again, I think the Texans ultimately beat the Colts, which puts the Colts out of this competition. The Jaguars and the Texans have split their matchups this season. So, that means that then goes down to your divisional record, um, which I'm looking up as we speak. One second. I probably should have had this already. I know. But one second. So, the Jaguars actually have the highest divisional record. So the Jaguars win, they're in. So the drama actually comes down to Jags and Titans. Because in order for the Texans and Colts game to even matter, the Jags have to uh, have to lose because the Jags have the best division of record. They'll go in, they will split head-to-head with the Texans, so I think they're going to win the game, which means it'll go to the division of record, 5-1 and one over 4-2. and two. The uh, Jaguars would get into the playoffs by winning the AFC South via tiebreaker. So I think the Jaguars are going to make the playoffs. It's very lovely that they play the Titans. I mean, they're coming in a little beat up. Trevor Etienne was rolling last week. Trevor Lawrence is dealing with – Travis Etienne, I'm sorry, was rolling last week. Trevor Lawrence was dealing with some shoulder issues. He's been beat up all year, but I think they're going to get in uh, because by virtue of just beating the Titans, who are awful. And Mike Vrabel would love to play spoiler. He just don't have the team to do it. Um, so uh, the Jaguars are going to beat the Titans and therefore rendering the Texans and Colts game irrelevant uh, because they cannot win the division. And I do believe they are not. Um, and I do believe they are not going 
uh, to make a wild card team, wild card game. I think it's either uh, win or get, we either win the division or sit at home. And then transitioning over to the NFC, uh, the NFC South is still up for debate. The Saints play the Falcons, the Bucks play the Panthers. Now this is another division where only one person is getting in. They will not have a wild card. Uh, and so the Bucks are playing the Panthers. Now, normally a team in the Panthers situation has no incentive to win because they'd be locking in the number one pick. Or they have the number one pick locked in. They'd be looking to, you know, build one last game for the road. They have already have an interim coach. Their owner's in turmoil for throwing drinks on people, um, et cetera. But they have to build. They have to build towards the future. Bryce Young needs all the real reps he can get. So they're going to play the Bucks, and they're going to play the, uh, the Bucks hard. If the Bucks lose, Falcons Saints becomes the NFC South Championship game. I mean, that's... I mean, it's, I mean, it's just that simple. Like, if the Bucks lose, Falcons Saints becomes the NFC Championship game because all three of them, well, the Bucks and the the Bucks and the Saints are both eight and eight. All three of them, however, have three and two divisional records. So, if the Bucks lose, they'd be three and three. If the Saints lose, they'd be three and three. And if Atlanta wins, they'll be four and two, eight and nine, and they'd get in the playoffs. So if the Panthers beat the Bucks, it's possible the Bucks can. It's Baker Mayfield. What I told you, whenever you need him the most, he'll let you down. Um, the Bucks lose to the Panthers. Falcons Saints becomes the NFC South Championship game. Winner gets in. Loser watches from the couch. Um, and so very interesting situation in Week 18. Uh, this is what the league wanted. It's why they wanted an extra week. It's why they wanted all divisional games um, to end the season because. Like I said, you get NFC South championship games. You get AFC East championship games where people aren't packing it in. Thinking, like, I want my division. I'm locked in my seat. I'm going to rest half my, half my team. Um, they're going to play these games all the way out. They're going to continue to fight. Of course, it's big incentive week. Uh, you got guys looking to cash in millions of dollars of incentives all across the league. Um, so very interesting week of coming up, of course. But now shifting into Jack's hot take. We're going to talk about Caitlin Clark and her overrated uh, skill set. Welcome back into the show. Welcome into Jack's Hot Take. Uh, we're going to discuss about Caitlin Clark. So, Caitlin Clark is coming off one of her better performances in college. She hit a buzzer beater against Michigan State. The whole country's in love with her. She scored 40 points again. My God, Caitlin Clark's amazing. Um, and of course, we're drawing. She may be the greatest girl college player ever. She may be this. She may be that. She's single-handedly changing girls' basketball. And, you know, Stephen A. often called her, often calls her the Steph Curry of women's basketball and et cetera, being very disrespectful of Steph Curry. But whatever. So she had a good game. If you look at her box score, she's 40 points, five assists, uh, game winner. She played 37 minutes out of 40. Iowa's a very starter-heavy team, 
Uh, every starter on the team played at least 30 minutes. They had nobody off the bench. They had one girl off the bench who played 20 minutes. Nobody else played more than five minutes, or they three, five, and six minutes for the rest of the people on the roster. Um, but Michigan State did the same thing. Uh, Michigan State had pretty pretty balanced, actually. Uh, nobody on the team played over 36 minutes. Nobody played less than 22 uh, minutes for Michigan State. So, you know, fatigue wasn't a big, big thing. However, um, anyway, Caitlin Clark played 37 minutes. Sorry, I don't know where the fatigue thing was going, but Caitlin Clark played 37 minutes. She shot 34 shots. 20 of them were threes. She shot 14 of 34 from the field, 8 of 20 from the three-point line, um, 4 of 4 from the free-throw line. Uh, she ended up again with 40 points. She got three steals as well. She had a big block. Um, so that was good. That was that was nice. But her big thing is her scoring. People talk about her scoring all the time, how she's this world, otherworldly scorer. She's, she's not. She's not even an otherworldly shooter. She shoots a lot of them deep, very deep. Including the game winning shot, basically was standing on the logo and she drilled it. Huge shot, taking nothing away from her. But she shot 41% from the field. I mean, that's that's not that's not pretend like she's this world class marksman. You know, as a world class marksman. You know who's a world-class marksman? Sabrina Ionescu. She made 30, she scored 37 in three-point contests. That's a world-class marksman. A world-class marksman is Maya Moore in her prime. A world-class marksman is Courtney Vandersloot. So, Kaylin Clark's going to have a major problem in the WNBA. And Kelsey Plum's trying to warn her. Like, when you play this way, there's a hell of an adjustment period in the WNBA. I remember when Kaylin, when Kelsey Plum got drafted to San Antonio, and she was supposed to, like, change the San Antonio, like, world. Like, she was supposed to change it. I remember the fans clip of her throwing the shirt, like, 30 rows up. Like, she was supposed to change everything. But because she didn't come in scoring in the W, how she came in scoring in college, she was, like, considered a bust, effectively, and ended up being moved from San Antonio to Vegas. Now, look that she's found her role in Vegas. She's picked up her performance and everything. But she was saying she had to deal with so much mental anguish and stress from um, not performing the way she was uh, she was doing so in college. She had to basically learn how to play again in a way and deal with the mental side of it. And so, Caitlin Clark, man, you're not going to be able to shoot 34 shots in the WNBA. Like, grown women are not about to watch you shoot 34 shots, and especially if you miss 20 of them. They're not going to watch you just jack up 23s. Like, it's not going to happen. So, she's going to have to find other ways. Think about if you cut her shots in half, she scores 20. 20 is not bad. But the thing is, what makes her so deadly is the fact that people double her and trap her and all the other stuff. Now she's hitting assists and her team is scoring the ball. And the W, they're going to let you shoot that shot. Go for it. If you want to cross and shoot a bomb from the logo and miss it, that's a layup on the other end of the WNBA. You know what I'm saying? Like, She's going to have to change the way she plays her game or she's going to be busting the WNBA because she is not that talented. Can she play? Yes. Is she one of the best players in college girls' college basketball? Yes. I'm not denying that. She's one of the best players in women's college basketball. I'm not denying that. But the hype on her raw numbers, and if you dive deeper into her game, they don't go together. I watched her in the, in the, in the um, NCAA tournament. 
South Carolina, she played rough for like two quarters. Um, against LSU, they basically had to just keep letting her shoot. Dude, shoot it. Go to let her shoot. Because you people had to, where people get caught defending her is that she they try to do both. They try and make, they try and trap her and stop her teammates. LSU just decided, let, let her shoot it. And she shot them in the game early. She, boom, she hit one. Crowd going crazy. LSU gets a layup. Boom, she hits another one. Crowd going crazy. LSU misses. Boom, she hits another one. She hits like nine points fast. And then she kept shooting. And kept shooting. And kept shooting. And LSU got a layup. LSU hit the three of themselves. LSU got a layup. LSU 3-3. She's still shooting. She shot them in the game. Then she shot them out of the game. And so that's what people are going to do to her in WNBA. They're going to just let her shoot it. If you want to shoot all those shots, go for it. Keep shooting them. Because she can't play that way at the next level. I hope she gets that fixed. Um, she'll probably be National Player of the Year again. Her raw numbers will be too much for you not to give it to her. Uh, but her efficiency is something I keep staring at. 41% shooting for a guard is not good. <laughs> like, it's just not. 40% from three is exceptional. 41% for a guard? I mean, they're going to make her catch and shoot play if she keeps playing like that. Um, you know, look at Sabrina Ganescu. Triple-double queen in college. Much, to me, much better shooter than Caitlin is because, you know, the shots go in. She's a point guard. She doesn't shoot that much. And look at Kelsey Plum. She was had the record Caitlin Clark broke. She's a role player off the bench. Like, now she's a sixth one of the year, but she's a bench player. Like, she's going to have to change the way she plays or she's going to disappoint a lot of people when she gets in the WNBA. But that is all I have for today. Um, my original thought of making it to college football show probably was my better one, but hey. I enjoy talking about the NFL as well. Season 5 is going to be huge. Um, and my goal is to have Season 5 up and running for next week. I will definitely keep you guys posted. If not, I'll do another uh, Season 4 episode. But my goal is to have everything ready to go for Season 5 by next week. I will definitely keep you guys posted. Pay attention to the social media. There will be big news on there. All over um, social media, of course, uh, regarding the show. As always... This is your host, Justin Jackson. Uh, remember to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, and be hyped for Season 5. Tell your friends, share with everybody, and of course, uh, follow and turn on your post notifications for the Justin Time Sports Podcast at JTime Sports on all of your favorite social medias for updates and breaking news. Now, as always, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.